0: GM. What up? GM. GM, Chad's. Chad, it's been a pretty relaxing last 24 hours in the Thorchain world or what? He had much to do but nothing. Yeah, I, I didn't see anything happen. It, it was actually,
1: uh, we'll get into the detail of it, but uh, it, was, it was a tricky one. Uh, it was very, very obscure and took us quite
0: a while to, to pin it down. Yeah, definitely uh, could go through some of the details on that um, once we get into it. It'll be cool. Just wait a minute or two here for people to hop in. Sorry, so my lost my earbuds real quick. One sec.
2: Hashtag release the yields.
1: <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. We'll get we'll get into it.
2: And hashtag release protocol on liquidity too. Let's go. Yeah, so now that we're actually on uh one9 then um all those should be in in the code base and like ready to turn on, right? Now that we're actually on uh, 1.98. I
0: think he dropped off. Looks like he's reconnecting. There we go. You there, Chad?
2: It's
1: working. And then my Mac picked up on the earbuds and like stole them my phone. <laughs> and now I can't
2: get it back <laughs> There you go. It's working now.
0: Loud and clear. So, so Cow was asking, uh, with 1.98 now, um, single-sided yield and POL, it's like already in there in the code base, just waiting to be activated, correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Um, there are a couple like small bugs to iron out, but nothing like all that big of a deal. We could probably just launch without fixing them because they're not that significant. Um, but at least, to, to my knowledge, at least. Uh, so, I think we're we're getting pretty close to being able to launch a feature, and, and when we do, we'll 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 put like a cap on it as as we like to do for for major new features. Um, we'll put a probably small cap on it just to kind of test the waters first, make sure things behaving the way that we expect. There's no kind of like you know issues, whatever. Um, and then as we feel more comfortable and more confident, we'll kind of up that cap and and you know um, you know allow more and more yield to come in, uh, savers to come in and and get their single sided yield. <laughs>
2: So it should actually be possible. Has anyone uh, re-entered the uh, the Bitcoin Savers vault? That that's what that's what caused this this bug in the first place. It should be possible to enter now, right?
1: No, I think it's actually still possible to enter. I think we just fixed the issue that caused the uh, the problem. But, but I'm not sure if anybody's actually tried to like enter since since the, the network went
0: back online. So I'm not actually not sure if anybody's tried. So also as far as caps and like limiting it. it it will be just bitcoin starting out no um it'll be enabled
1: for uh any gas asset i think so any uh, the primary asset for per chain um the pol will not be enabled for all those chains appeal the, PO, the pol will only be enabled maybe for one or two chains possibly uh, and so you'll be able to get you know some some savers deployed in each one of those pools just to start uh, and so that's the cap is how we place it is the the cap is based upon the POL itself like how much how much capital does the POL have to how much rune does it have to deploy to various pools, and that's going to be capped at some number, and over time we can increase that. So as the POL is able to have more more capital, it can kind of like deploy more rune to the into the pools, which causes the civilization to go down, which causes more um, more openings for new savers to kind of you know, enter. And so initially, the POL probably turned off entirely. And we'll just allow the sense to grow out to what they would normally do and with, as they've been doing for months. And then once that, that's happened, then we can enable the POL to start deploying a little bit of capital into the pools and make sure everything looks good, everything's behaving like we, like I think it is it be, should be behaving, and then over
2: time, kind of increase that number. So do we uh, want to start off talking about the consensus failure? Um, yeah, I'm curious to hear your take on uh, what happened. And just uh, uh, first off, kudos on on getting this fix out so quick. I think it's the quickest recovery from any kind of major, uh, you know, network outage that's 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 happened to, to my knowledge. So about a twenty and a half hours from uh, the, the fail to being up and trading enabled and everything fully operational. So great job on that. Yeah, let's hear a little bit more about exactly uh, what happened and how you guys found the fix. And I'm curious about that.
1: Yeah, the funny thing is that this one was probably, at least in my opinion, the most difficult one to fix. It was the most difficult one to like, to track down, to figure out what the actual problem is. Because um, So the problem we got into from a high level perspective is what's called a consensus failure, right? And that basically just means that the different validators of the network have a different states, right? There's some sort of minute change or difference between one validator to the next. So They don't really agree with each other, so they all just kind of pause and, and wait till they get some sort of consensus of what that state is. And whenever you get that failure, it's actually a really hard problem to solve because all Cosmos tells us is that, like, the data is slightly different from each other, but doesn't give us any pointers to know what data, which transaction caused it. Like you get really no insight. There's no error message here. There's no like, you know, thing that lets you know about a place to look, right? And so that's always a very difficult situation because you're like, you're just like, okay, there's some code that happened somewhere in the code that caused this issue. And it just becomes like a very difficult thing to kind of try to pinpoint where it is. and in this particular case, the, the, the thing that caused it was probably the most difficult thing to find that we've seen in like in the past. But we, in part, got the chain up so quickly just because we have the the kind of the tools we didn't have in the earlier, you know, when, the, when the chain was less mature, we have tools that we have put together that um, allow us to do this more more quickly and more efficiently from our previous experience and such and, and building out the maturity of like the maintenance of this chain, in a sense. So. Um, so here's here's what the bug was. And it was kind of really fascinating. Um, so somebody added uh, a savers deposited savers into the um, uh, savers thing for Bitcoin. and that's where it actually triggered the the consensus failure. And so why that happened is because when you deposit layer one Bitcoin before it can be deposited into the like savers part, it has to be swapped from Bitcoin into a synthetic Bitcoin and then the second part of it, is being deployed into the uh, the savers like bucket pool thing, whatever. And so it went to go and do a swap. And after it does the swap, like it, it's actually doing an ad, but before it does the ad it has to do a swap first, right? So it's a generate a new kind of transaction. And then once it's done with that transaction, I'm swapping to the layer of synth one, it's gonna generate a new transaction internally to do the ad, right? The ad portion of it. And in this case, it has to generate a memo, which is like, just like anything else, right? And so, Within that memo is an affiliate fee, which in this case was zero. And the bug was that instead of putting the value of zero in the memo, it put the pointer of the variable into the memo, right? And so you don't know what a pointer is. A pointer is just basically like the location in the memory where this value is being stored. It's right? not the value itself. It's just like where you can find the value. Right? The, the, like It's not so much the, the car it is the, the the parking spot that the car is in, right? And so each individual validator will have a different, like within their own memory, will have a different location of where this value is stored. But the value it's the same across all the different validators, all the different um, uh, validators. And so the memo was just putting in basically the pointer instead of the value into the memo, in which case the memo becomes become slightly different from each individual validator. And so the reason why we didn't see this problem in all of our testing before is because when you're adding uh, savers and it does that swap, if there's nothing in the swap queue, then it'll, it'll swap it and add it to, to the to the savers in a single transaction and a single block right it doesn't have to it doesn't have to store anything to the actual blockchain itself it's all just to be done like in memory immediately now versus being spread out across multiple blocks so we never saw this because we never had a swap queue on stage net or on test net to actually create this scenario that we're that we're now in we only saw it once we were in mainnet which mainnet had like I think it had you know six or seven different um, items in the um, in the swap queue at the time, which caused that the swap be like delayed a block, which means that the memo had to be sent to the to the chain to be stored on the chain. In which case, that memo had a slightly different number for all the different validators, causing the consensus failure. <laughs> Does that make sense? It's like a highly technical, complex thing that I'm trying to describe in a, in a somewhat non technical
2: uh, way. Yeah, I thought that was a good explanation. Uh, how do, I'm I'm wondering how you guys actually caught that uh, caught that issue.
1: Yeah, we actually uh, we use a methodology that we actually just just came up for this purpose. And so what we do is um, we make some small modification to the code, and then we sync like mainnet, right? And then we do it again a second time, and then if the it's two times we expect them both to have app hash. Uh, or uh, consensus failures, but it gives you like, when you have a consensus failure, it tells you like your app hash, which is basically like the checksum of like, or the summary sort of, or or checksum of the data of that block. And so if we fix the issue if the change we made uh, avoids the issue, then we can know that whatever change we made is affecting the result, right? And so just through a series, of like trial and error of like, okay, let's disable the begin part of the block, let's disable the end part of the block, let's disable this handler or that handler, or let's take this particular manager of the swap queue and let's take... So we have just started to like eliminate things slowly and through a, a process of trial and elimination, eventually finding the precise function that was causing the actual problem. And then once you had that precise function, you know, we just look through the code, and I'm, there's a there's the bug right there. We should be casting this this value to an uint before actually to, casting to a to a value to an integer before putting it into the string of the memo. Does that make sense? Because I'm not sure if it makes sense to me, but I'm, I'm a nerd, so I, much of it makes sense. to
0: <laughs> The non technical people. A little lost, yeah. but it make it makes me think you're even smarter. So that's all I need to know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was it was a it was a difficult one to find, but we eventually got got our hands on. And now we actually have a new methodology of like if, if we were ever to see a problem like this in the future, um we have a new methodology of, of finding the finding the issue, of like eliminating defining the issue, which is um, really nice to have because because failure is like the worst issue you can have in some sense because it's just such a black box of like hey, there's a problem somewhere in the code somewhere, and you just like. Okay, how do I find that? then? it's very difficult to, to, to track down.
2: Yeah, well,
0: definitely huge props to to you and the rest of the team just for I, doing all that hard work and figuring it out so quickly, and uh, you know, just the level of professionalism and getting everything sorted so quickly. So, oh, and by the
1: way, one more thing: like when we had the the failure, our first thought was there's something in version ninety eight, right? Because It was just released like an hour earlier, so like maybe that's the issue. There's some code change in ninety eight. That wasn't even the case. <laughs> It was like months ago. So you couldn't even look at recent changes because it's not necessarily a recent change that caused the issue. Isn't that funny?
2: It's interesting that it can just be kind of just dormant in there and uh, have no idea that it it could happen until, uh, you know, that memo goes through and (laughs) it's it's according to the the, the same thing on all the So
1: Yeah, we actually had a... Uh, the one other time we had a consensus failure like a while while back, was from a bug that was introduced in the code like two and a half years ago, right? Like it was but it just never reached that particular code path until you know something happened and we when we decom one of the pools and and all of a sudden that, that condition was met and then like, that was the, the the first time we had the, uh, a failure like that.
2: Yeah, it's great to see the coordination on all the nodes. Though. They updated so quickly that that patch was just released. Uh, you know, pretty late last night on uh, East Coast time, and you know, about early this morning, everything's fully back up. So, trading LP actions are available. Everything is back to business on Thorchain. So, looking good. Looking good. <laughs> Uh yeah, if there's any like articles and things that need to be corrected, just be sure to send that to us so we can get get those updated uh, to make sure all the all the coverage is accurate and up to date. So uh, yeah, I'm be working on that a little bit just to make sure that all the information that's that's out there in the media is uh, you know uh, real news, factual.
1: Yeah, I I I have to look through all the media and uh, look for anything that was that is incorrect.
2: I don't think there's that much that was incorrect. There was just some articles that were, that were going out about it. So it's good to have it like, all right, like the the situation is, is over. You know, everything is, everything's is all good. So yeah. yeah, Good to issue those corrections. So yeah. Anything else exciting about the uh, consensus failure? I mean, like, you know, when these, when these things happen, um, it's, it's an opportunity to just make the network that much better. Now that we have these new processes, it just makes things even <phone rings> uh even safer for the next time that, you know, something like this could potentially happen. So
1: Yeah, this, this kind of stuff, like, it can always happen when you're actively developing, right? And even yep. when you're doing passively, like just bug fixing technically it can happen there as well. But it's more likely to happen in like obviously larger code changes and such. And so like like we obviously want to keep pushing the network and and keep innovating and keep um, adding you know significant um, features. Like in this particular case, it was because we, we wanted to add this savers feature, right? And the ability to like get, you know, layer one yield on, on just just Bitcoin or just whatever asset you want. Um, and uh, so in the process of doing so, we had mixed a bunch of code changes and we introduced this particular bug, which had to get ironed out. So it's, a, it's a normal thing. Even like with our recent, you know, Avax was paused recently just because there was um, an edge case that, that happened that uh, caused a double spend a, a swap, or, uh, an upbound transaction. Like whenever you introduce like major new components of code to a code base, it's very common very natural to have, you know, bugs and stuff that need to be kind of ironed out, you know, over the first like, you know, few months of the feature or whatnot. And so like, you know, whenever we add these new, these major new features like this, or possibly like lending in the future, or possibly you know, whatever uh, order books, maybe I don't know, whatever it might be, like you always have risk of having bugs and issues that you gotta that you gotta work out. But that's just that's just part of the game, right? that's, not, uh, that's to be expected,
2: right? And the important part is that funds aren't at at risk uh, through through any of this. Even though there's consensus fail, it doesn't mean that uh, you know are insolvent or there's any kind of. Kind of risk there so it's just hardening the actual logic of thor chain itself so it's positive here I, I brought up prime right. directed to he requested to come up so hey prime
3: hey can you hear me yep um r- real quick i just wanted to um share something you know yesterday when when this whole thing happened the bug um i really want to i have to commend you it's not just you know hey you guys are really smart good job fixing it fast it's the the communication around what happened from three different sources just on Twitter. I was so well informed from beginning, middle to end of that throughout the process. Um, I had an experience with a you know, a fellow internet friend on a random Discord server. They're like, oh, hey, Prime, what's going on with Thorchain? I was trying to trade some doge. It's like not working or something. I was like, oh, here's what happened. Uh, they're on top of it. you know. And then like an hour later, I was able to send them another message. Hey, it looks like they figured it out um, you know, everything's going to be fine. He's like, well, it's still not working. And I was able to tell him like, well, you know, nodes need to update, you know, just hang in there and everything should be fine soon. You know, an hour or two ago, I was able to send him a message like, Hey, you're good to go, man. And, and, and that is awesome. The, the, the layers the calmness of the communication and the fact that it was from three sources on Twitter. Um, that's, I cannot put into words how much confidence that speaks into the market. Like, so, so let's not just overlook that, even though it's important that you guys are all super nerds and all that, you know, excellent job on your internal communication and getting that all out. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you for, for saying that. I think that's something like that, especially Gavin and, and uh, familiar Cow and other people um, are kind of pushing is, is to kind of improve or, or mature the, the communications aspect of the protocol. You know which is just a natural thing to happen as we get further down the road of this of this project
2: it's pretty well oiled at this point everyone you know knows their role What needs to be done so uh you know it's, it's all it's all really smooth all around from from this side thanks and happy to provide the communications updates and and things like that because it's important for the for the community to know exactly what's going on that you know uh that, that, that everyone everyone here on this side is calm and collected and uh you know things are progressing as normal so and now now that we're back to normal it's just another uh just another day <laughs> it's just it's tw- 20 and a half hours of downtime and now back to business so thanks for uh your comments all right moving on uh Yes, yeah, so we do. We want to talk about savers and uh, POL. Well, let's uh, let's get to it. We could we could start with um, savers vaults. So savers are live. You can actually deposit, um, I guess, in any pool. Right. Because you, that's what you just said, Chad. I, I thought it was only Bitcoin, but uh, you could deposit any any asset as I think it's just the, side of liquidity.
1: I think it's just the gas assets. Uh, yes. So Bitcoin, Ethereum, not Rune, not ERC 20s you know, not random like BEP2 tokens. Um, but like BNB, Doge, AVAX, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and so on.
2: Small question, implementation question. Um, when, can, can you, you can just add to a saber position, uh, with, so let's say you have a small amount of, you know, BTC in the, in the Bitcoin pool. And, you know, you, you, you can you add say like every month into a, into a Bitcoin pool and that just gets added into your, uh your your position in, in a saber's vault
1: yeah you can do that as many times as you want and you can withdraw you know as many times as you want obviously not double spending or anything but like you can, you can take away half your position and then take away another half another half another half or you want to add a bunch more later like arbitrarily you can enter and exit as you as, as you want Although we, we might put a limitation on like you can't enter if you exited within the last 24 hours something like that just so people don't like kind of like thrash the Thing or whatever, but that may not be even necessary, to be with you. But, but yeah, you can basically enter and exit whenever you feel like it.
2: Yeah, I thought that's very necessary just because of the, the the swaps that need to take place, entering and exiting, uh, you know, converting to rune and then uh, then depositing into the savers vault. Like, there's there's a couple, there's a little bit of slip taken out of there. So yeah, I, I wonder if that's necessary thing to to put in there
1: i suspect that like the kind of user who would want this feature is like more of a less of like a a dgen or like mercenary capital type of person and would be more of like a long-term hodler or like institution or like somebody who is kind of more has a long-term view on their position in like in crypto rather than like trying to you know chase uh some crazy yields across below blah, blah, blah whatever so i i suspect the world won't naturally just enter and enter and leave enter and leave it just doesn't seem to make hold up much sense but
0: yeah yeah cal you bring up a good point i, I think like you know having to deal with the the slippage because there's a couple of swaps happening on on both directions like that's kind of a natural uh you know slow down of how many like there it just lowers the incentive to just jump right in and jump right out so that should help naturally uh attract some longer term people i would think
1: yeah and that's the only way that you can like like that you can get less uh you know if you put a bunch of bitcoin in and you come out and you have less bitcoin than you started with it's only because you probably just you entered recently and then you exited very recently and you paid slip fees um, both on the way in and the way out, in addition to, like, the outbound fee and gas fees. And, like, if you calculate all the fees together, like, you could come out with less Bitcoin than you started. But that just means you need to stay in the pool for X number of whatever it is uh, before, like, you're in a, a net positive. And then from that point on, just, like, number goes
0: up can we just walk through um just for like complete clarity uh and then we kind of did this last week uh Cal, you had a great explanation and you've been working on those diagrams but maybe we can just go through like step by step what exactly is happening on the back end uh from deposit to to earning yield yeah go for it cow you, you want to keep up with that uh, the infographic and if you want to like um <laughs>
2: yeah let uh, me let me tweet, let me tweet whatever, it out first
1: like, like link, link yeah. the tweet here in, in the um the, I didn't the,
2: tweet it out, so give me a second. Maybe you want yeah, to really start on it while I tweet it out. While he's doing that, like
1: I, I put a tweet in the in the top here from Eric Forhees that I just loved because it's just, it just puts it in like a really good light or a very a good, good way of thinking about it. And it's like comparing the native BDC Idea to basically what attracted everybody into like BlockFi and have like millions of users, and but like this one has, as Eric was saying, like it has like you know no emitter areas, no KYC, no borders, all open source. Like it is everything that we wish BlockFi would be, but now it's on Thor James.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Such a such a killer. Uh, that's definitely a tweet for the, the Thor chain wall <laughs> of the, the history books. Um, but yeah, that that kind of thought is something that just gets me, especially recently, it's just so exciting when I think about Thorchain. is like, I, I think of it as just going down the list of like all of these core things that centralized entities have like taken from crypto being like, Oh, like you want to trade? Well, come to a centralized exchange. Oh, you want fixed? You want yield, whatever, like come to Blockfly or whatever. And it just, it's, it's such a spectacle to watch like Thorchain kind of tackling these hit products, right? Like the, the things people are actually doing in crypto and just like one by one kind of being like, nope, we're taking that back to like the decentralized world. And, um, that concept just really excites me. Yeah. I remember I was talking to
1: a guy and I probably shouldn't say which, which but he's from a block fight like company. I won't say which one, but like, and I, asked, I said to him like, hey, you know, have you read about this whole like Thorfi stuff we've been talking about? And and this feature is like one of the features of Thorfi actually. And he says, oh no, what's that? And I explained to him like, you know, what Thorfi is, you know, briefly. And he said to me, <laughs> I, just, I was like laughing in my head, he said like, oh, so you're doing everything that we're doing, but decentralized. <laughs> His face, his face just went like white. Like, he was just like, oh, God. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, yeah, basically, sure, yeah.
0: <laughs> That's the thing. It's like the infrastructure wasn't quite there to really flesh out the full vision of doing this in the crypto world. It, like, it took so long, you know, like, like the original vision of crypto was that, you know, ever since five, 10 years ago. And it's kind of like taken until... This convergence of technologies that, like Thorchain, uses and like other developments in other areas, of course, too, but kind of like allowing them all to come together and really build from the ground up, like the way th- what we all kind of had the vision for all along, and uh, it just all kind of comes together. The next one being probably, uh, you know, you said with Thorfi, like after this, be like lending, uh, lending and borrowing. That's kind of like the next big hit product right <laughs> and it's just like once again it's just taking back something that's kind of been siloed into centralized entities for crypto and uh, porting it back over to like the actual decentralized world
1: yeah especially for for assets like Bitcoin like there is no Bitcoin loan out there I mean maybe on uh, one of the side Bitcoin side chains but but like it's just uh, st- Structural. I think we're, what we're doing here is just structurally different than anything else, and even the lending design itself, which we're not going to get into right now because the other topic. But like, it is structurally a very different lending design with very different set of attributes than everything else in the industry, and so it's going also going to appeal less to a the degenerate type of like person and more towards the you know uh, person the long term hardler the the institution like that has a much more capital in that realm than in the dgen realm that we're kind of like familiar with and used to in the DeFi world um but like one of the things like i'm most excited or one thing i'm really excited about for the savers is that when people deploy their bitcoin into the pool into the pool and then take on a savers position they're adding a bunch of bitcoin to that pool or ethereum or doge whatever and they're Added to the asset, but they're not—they're not adding the rune side, and so inherently, what that does is that the room—the pool becomes off balance. There's too much Bitcoin, not enough rune, and so the um, the market, the arbitrage bots, which we'll probably get into in a second, with from the uh, graphic that Cow uh, put up, uh, will create buy pressure to buy up rune to to kind of um, level off the the pool. And so, like as more savers like dive in, it's going to create you know buy pressure on the rune asset. Um, until it basically gets its like cap, like of the of the synth, the synth cap. So it's just gonna be like, I'm expecting that a bunch of a bunch of people are gonna jump in with savers, and then it should create um, a good amount of, or I don't know how much, but just some some amount of buy pressure in the Nasdaq, which I'm excited to see what the result of that is.
2: Yeah, let's go into the graphic a little bit. So uh, hopefully everyone can see I pinned the tweet on top of the uh, on the top of the space here. I'll try and put it up in the YouTube video, too. So uh, you can check this, check it out and follow along. It's in two different columns. Uh, the left column goes into what happens when a user goes to add, uh, add Bitcoin into a saver's vault. And then the right column. Uh, Going top to bottom is what happens when that user withdraws from the saver's vault after earning some yields. So, yeah, let's run into, let's just run it down a little bit and uh, we'll explain what's going on. Uh, So, uh, so some assumptions that, that come with this. So, first is the... Uh, the, the Rune price and the Bitcoin price. So uh, th- this model assumes that uh, 10,000 Rune is one Bitcoin on both sides so that there's no price change between the two. Uh, you could recalculate it based on a different uh, Rune price and Bitcoin price. Uh, and all all swaps in this, it's a 0.1% slippage fee. So it, it assumes a, a Bitcoin depth of about 1000 uh, BTC. So uh, yeah, but those, those are the assumptions and then obviously like there's some underlying knowledge uh, that uh, there's an equal value of Bitcoin and Rune in the liquidity pool. So the Bitcoin Rune pool is at a market price when compared to other other markets. So there's an equal value of the Bitcoin in the pool as there is Rune in the pool and that will always be maintained because of the, uh, the arbitrageurs on the network. So to get started, uh, the user has one Bitcoin and deposits deposits it into the Bitcoin pool uh, and it gets swapped to Rune. So that one Bitcoin goes in and then uh, 9,990 Rune comes out because that 0.1% slippage. So they, there's slightly less Rune comes out uh, the other end, almost all of it. And then that same amount of Rune goes right back into the pool. So the pool ends up with... Uh, with a net position of plus 1 bitcoin and then there's no actual change in the amount of, of rune that's in the pool but then the pool issues that synthetic bitcoin asset so there's a liability on the pool of uh, slightly less than than 1 bitcoin so there's another the other slip gets calculated there so it's 0.998 a synthetic bitcoin so now uh you you can think about the price of rune and bitcoin uh as in a relationship to the pool, if, so the the price in external markets is the same, right? But on, on Thorchain, uh, Rune's price increased against Bitcoin because now that there's, there's one extra Bitcoin in the pools, but there's no extra Rune in the pools. So an arbitrager makes the trade in the opposite direction. So because there's about one extra Bitcoin in the pool, about half of, uh, sorry, the, the arbitrager would deposit Rune into the pool and swap for Bitcoin, uh, extracting slightly less value than uh, than, than one Bitcoin. So uh, it approximately balances out the pool to be about plus half of one Bitcoin and slightly less than uh, half one Bitcoin's worth of Rune. Uh, so that balances out the pool price to be the same as other marketplaces. So now that the pool price is balanced, their uh, the, the net pool positions is approximately half a bitcoin and then about uh, slightly less than, than 5000 rune, which should be about half of half a bitcoin in this situation. So now the pool price is balanced, and then that synthetic bitcoin gets locked into the vault and some slips occur incurred. So about 0.997 BTC actually makes it into the vault. Uh, and the, so the, the net result is the, the user now has a vault position in the the coin savers vault. Uh, there is now an additional liability on the pool of a nine nine seven BTC because that's was deposited into the vault. And then there's a net rune buy pressure because the arbitrage re movement back to market price is slightly less than the uh, than the the original movement out of the market price. So then just think about the the user they 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 put they have their their position in, in the vault, and they keep it in there for, for a number of years, or ha, ha, who knows, whatever the yield is, they, they earn 5% after an undetermined amount of time. I don't know how long this, this would be, but let's say that this, this user earns about five, 5%. So, uh, 5% over uh, 0.997 BTC, that's about 1.047 BTC, and then uh, the user removes that from the vault, so they get 0.1% less, so uh, they get Slightly less out of the Saber's Vault. They, they still gained about 0.046 BTC out of this. Uh, that BTC gets burned and then Rune gets removed from the pool. So this is the, about the opposite of what happens when you enter the pool, obviously. So the, the synthetic BTC gets burned and then Rune gets removed from the pool. Uh, so you have slightly more than 10,000 Rune being removed from uh, from the pool. And then that Rune goes right back into the pool. And get swapped for for Bitcoin, and then that gets sent to the user. So uh, because of this, the net, the net pool positions there's a little bit more than one Bitcoin removed from the pool, and no net Rune removed from the pool. So in order to counteract that, uh, the arbitrager to, to balance the prices on on Thorchain would uh, deposit some Bitcoin into the pool to sell for to, to get Rune out, and the the net result would be about. Uh, slightly more than than half of bitcoin uh, removed from the pool and then slightly more than half of bitcoin's worth of Rune removed from the pool to to balance the uh, the net outflow to be balanced between the two assets so uh, the net result is that the the user no longer has that um, that vaulted position the The synth is burned, so the pool liabilities have decreased by by that same amount and then there is a a slight net rune sell pressure because uh, they end up removing bitcoin from the pool so that uh, throws the prices off and the arbitrage movement is slightly less than the original movement so there is a slight uh, net rune sell pressure when an arbit- when uh, a saver removes from the from the pool so hopefully that um explains like the dynamics of how there's rune buy and sell pressure when you enter and exit a saver's vault. I've been trying to understand this for a while, and this making this diagram really helped me uh, understand just the, the 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 price dynamics of what happens when you when you add and remove from the vault. So hopefully this helps everyone you know make an informed decision that it's it's, it's healthy for the uh, the Torchain network to have this active, and uh, you know just increases everyone's general over, uh, understanding of how the feature works and how arbitrage is affected too.
0: Yeah, really well explained. I think this uh, definitely helped me personally uh, have everything uh, click. One question just to clarify is like, so on the um, on the synth BTC going into the the vault or the other way around um, that part has a slippage fee is that fee like that's not an actual slippage correct it's just a fee being charged basically just to uh help help make the pools profitable like that fee is just going to the pools but it's not actually like a slippage of any kind right is that am i thinking about that correctly
2: yeah chad can you, could you comment on that I, I believe it so it's not actually it's not actually slippage but i believe it just cal- it calculates what a slippage uh cost would be of entering that pool and then it it is it's charged like a slippage fee but it is not a it's not a slippage fee because there's no actual swap being incurred against the pool. It's just uh, it, it's fees that go into the pool. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I believe I mean, that's how it that works. It is
1: a slip. So, like when you enter from BDC layer one BDC to uh, the saver, where you're you're depositing a synthetic Bitcoin, I think in reality what's actually happening in the in the code base is that it's actually performing a double swap because you're you're performing a swap from layer one BDC to Rune. And then you're doing another swap from from rune to synthetic, you know, synthetic Bitcoin, right? So that's actually two different swaps happening, and each of those swaps have its own swap fee that's associated with that.
0: Yeah, I'm actually talking about the next step, like number four in in the diagram. Um, just taking the synthetic BTC that at that point that's already been minted, right? So it's already gone through a double swap, but then de- uh, locking that into the vault that incurs another slip fee. Is that
1: right? Uh, no. Once the once the synthetic is actually like you know minted, it's just it's just put into a into a let's call it cosmos module, but like it's just put into the to, into a vault. There's no actual slippage fee with the from going from the synthetic uh, into the into the the vault. Like that has no fee to it.
2: Okay, sorry. That that's just a an error on my, on my part. Then, because I, 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 for for a while we were talking about uh, there being a fee to enter and exit the the vault, so I was assuming that's what it was. So it's only four four fees going in and out then, just, that, just a double swap, uh, right? So, so,
0: so it would actually, in, using the numbers in the example, it would actually be the 0.998. Uh, it wouldn't drop to the 0.997 in that last step. Uh, yeah, correct.
2: yeah, that's true.
1: Right. So it's just, it's just two swaps on the way in and then two swaps on the way out. Those, those are the cool. only fees. Uh, well, with the exception of like the outbound fee and the gas fee when you're uh, withdrawing from the network. But those, those are the only actual fees being associated.
2: Great. So... Uh, more Bitcoin than <laughs> good news. So, if
1: you, if you like, just to make this thing one more layer of complexity, just to, you know, melt minds a little bit more, once you add in the POL to this whole calculation, right, because uh, Kyle was saying how when somebody's depositing synthetic Bitcoin, they're creating a buy pressure on the rune asset, and when someone's withdrawing, they're creating sell pressure on the rune asset, and, and whatever direction they're going, The once the the, the cents have gone to like the cap or close to the cap and the PUL starts to kick in and, and does what the PUL does, it's the one that's providing the opposite side. So like if somebody deploys you know one bitcoin into savers and creates one bitcoin worth, uh, technically it'd be like half a half a bitcoin worth of of, of um, buy pressure on an asset. The cortical own liquidity is coming in with that rune, so they're 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 selling the rune to that to that counter position. So so it it's effectively it depends on where the the target utilization is that that the PUL is targeting for. But let's just say it's fifty percent of the um, um, pool depth, and then it becomes like for every one dollar of buy pressure that entering the savers uh, Bitcoin savers does, the PUL creates one dollar of sell pressure, and so this becomes like a level. Thing. So it doesn't really matter if you're entering the pool or leaving the pool, the, there's no effect to the room price. But if you were to do something like instead of 50%, you would do like 67%. It'd be like for every um, $1 Bitcoin added. It would cause you know two dollars of sell pre- of uh, buy pressure on the rune asset, and the same in the reverse if you go the uh, reverse direction.
2: Yeah, I didn't even think about POL being added into this before, but you're you're completely right because thinking about it, it's kind of like the, the the protocol is taking on that that's partially some of that arbitrage's role of adding rune back into the pools after the. Uh, uh, after the the, the price is imbalanced uh, once the the double swap is made, so yeah, that, that's really interesting that the, the POL balances out uh, the dynamics here. Like the the, the POL is kind of what plays that that uh, third role,
1: right? And we won't see the POL actually in, in action for the be- I think for the beginning of this at least. Um, and so beginning will just be just general
0: market movements, but eventually the POL will kick in and will start become the counterbalance to everything. So just to really simplify for, for a second so this is what's happening until the synth cap the the normal synth cap that like we already have is hit and then anything above that um because the synth cap is already maxed out you can't just mint more synth so then in that case that's where the PLL is going to kick in the reserve is going to take the rune side so basically in this example if 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 1 BTC is coming in it would essentially be just under half a BTC worth of RUNE that's coming in from, from the reserve, from the POL side, and then owning half of that position in terms of POL? Yeah, so the- Or half the of that value. Yeah, the POL is,
1: is literally acquiring, it's, it's using its RUNE reserves to acquire a position in both RUNE and the other, the other asset, whatever other asset is. So the, the network itself, as silly as it sounds, is actually acquiring Bitcoin and acquiring Ethereum and acquiring whatever asset these are. I assume it to be the vast majority to be Bitcoin because that's going to be the thing that you know everybody's going to be depositing into. Like less so Doge and less so you know Litecoin. Like probably not a lot, of, not a lot of people are going to be doing that. But like vast majority is going to be Bitcoin or maybe even ETH. Maybe not ETH because there's a lot of places you can get ETH on ETH yield within the Ethereum. It just to me, there's like there's less competition or more competition there, but like Bitcoin will probably be the biggest, you know,
0: thing. So the network will start acquiring Bitcoin as part of this process. And it's essentially by doing an asymmetrical ad, like it's basically putting in the rune for LP units.
1: Correct. It's doing an asym ad as a, as a the the P well is a dual sided LP, but it only have, or provides rune, and so it's putting in a thousand dollars a rune or something like this. Half of it gets sold into Bitcoin, so that's, you know, 50% in Bitcoin, 50% in Rune, so 500 bucks in one, 500 bucks in the other. And and that's just kind of dynamically buying and selling based upon the demand of the market, right? So if more synth people come in, it's going to deposit and make a larger position. If synth people leave, it'll withdraw and make a smaller position. Or even if neither one of those things happen and say just a regular LP, like, you know, say familiar cow has got an LP position in the Bitcoin pool and say he leaves, then then we're, the position will, will naturally increase. And then the POL will basically replace familiar cow in, in a matter of speaking. And the familiar cow comes in, he's not have a position and then he comes in, then the POL basically starts to leave and, and, and the familiar cow takes the position or replaces the POL to sound like whatever amount of value that he's coming in with. And so it's like not just about people interacting from a saver's perspective, either adding savers or withdrawing savers, but it's also relative to um, price movements, like the Bitcoin price relative to the runes price. And it's also relative to uh, dual-side LPs as they leave or as they enter. The P U L will take the reverse position in a sense. Yeah, that's
0: a good Yeah, I love sense. how all
2: the dynamics kind of mesh together and you know play off each other and, and balance everything out. And it's gonna be super cool. And I I also love that uh you know, Thorchain will be acquiring huge BTC position over over this nice little bear market here. I think that's I mean, I don't think anyone agrees that, that that's a that that's a negative thing. <laughs> and I think that's gonna be real nice to, to play out in a couple of years.
1: That's why we like we would. I said in the past, that I'm, and I'm and obviously I'm not sure until we actually see how the market reacts. But like, there's a non-zero potential that uh, you know a, a lot of the dual side LPs, you know, leave the network, uh, and then they, they just become you know savers. In which case, um, you know, the the POL would would kick in and and do what it does, right? And that would just mean that like. We would have dual uh, that the majority of the dual uh, side LP was is basically the P wall that was even, even the vast majority and everybody else is like just wants you know takes on the, the less yield but less risk position of you know getting BDC on their BDC or F on their F right and uh, that, that's, a, that's a real potential outcome which wouldn't be a bad thing, actually.
0: Yeah, that, that brings up another important detail. So we're still at it, it, the yield is going to be half of the dual sided, correct?
1: Yes. So if you put if you put in, like if you put in a hundred bucks into a pool today, and you know, just say you came back later and you had like a ten percent yield, instead of getting you know ten percent, you in a saver's position you would get only five percent, and it's like that's kind of like one way, a simple way to think about it. So you because you're opting to only supply a single asset rather than two assets. And you're taking on less risk and providing in some sense you're providing less value to the network arguably the the yield should reflect that the the yield should reflect you know what the risk that you're taking on is that's just general how markets work in general and so uh the dual lps are going to take on a larger kind of yield because they're going to get you know 50 half the yield that the the savers people deposit and the savers are going to keep the other half for themselves and so the dual P's are going to get um, a higher yield uh, as a percentage uh, than they are now. Whether or not they actually generate a higher yield or not is a different topic because um, as savers deposit, the pools get more full, in which case the pendulum springs away from the pools and towards nodes so that less of the, the system income of the network goes towards the The pools and more of it goes towards the nodes, right? So it's a multifaceted kind of like economics at play here. And it's kind of hard to reason about all the different cogs in the machine in a sense. But generally speaking, dual sides will make a a larger yield, like in terms of a percentage, and savers will make, you know, half their position. And but then we'll see how that how the incentive pendulum kind of like pushes back and forth and. Hopefully that creates more like buy pressure on the rune asset because now it's much more profitable to be a node. And to be a node, you have, to, you have to you know bond up rune, so the the value or the drive to buy rune is obviously you know increased, which hopefully gets the you know node operators, maybe new node operators, to buy more rune, which causes more buy pressure, which causes the bond to go up, which causes more space for the savers. Savers kick back in. Like this, there's a whole kind of like a. Uh, uh, Um,
0: flywheel to it in some sense. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it it also just part of that that really makes sense is not only is the single-sided just taking the lower risk option, but by taking that, they're actually kind of directly increasing the risk of the dual-sided, right? Because they are pushing the synth utilization up, which means that the dual-sided LPs have more synth liability. So it kind of like makes sense that like they're, they're doing an action that gives them low risk and actually increases the, the other side risk, which makes it seem extremely fair that, you know, they're they're taking on half of that. Right.
1: And I think part of the intent is that um, as the POL so like the amount of risk that a dual LP has relative to since is kind of like they're taking on a leverage rune position, right? Depending upon if rune's price outperforms or underperforms the asset. Right, whatever asset that might be, and so um, the amount of sense as a as a utilization of the pool relative to the depth of the pool itself it kind of determines how much leverage there is there. Right, so the POL itself is there to to um, maintain that room utilization percentage. Right, so it's there to deploy capital, and by doing so, it reduces the risk on the non-POL LPs. Right, it's almost like you know. Um, me and familiar cow and, and Chad Thoreau, we have to eat, you know, a, a hundred hot dogs, right? And so that's a lot of hot dogs for, you know, three people to eat. And so the Well comes in and just says like, okay, I'll eat 30, right? Or 50 or whatever the number would be. And then just makes it less of a problem for me and Thoreau and Chad to like eat all these hot dogs, right? It's kind of a, a shitty analysis, but like,
0: <laughs> yeah, seventy yeah. hot dogs, no problem. <laughs>
1: <laughs> seventy is fine for us. <laughs> but like, it's just the idea that like it's just taking on, it's it's, it's, it's just adding LP so that the the risk is spread out, right? With the amount of capital and the dual LP position, and so as the P well enters. It's, you know, it's, it's spreading it out more. And so there's less and less risk on the the, the regular people doing regular LP, like dual-site LP. So it, it's the the part that really kind of controls the risk for the, for the LPs is not so much um, the P-Well itself, in a sense. It's more of the, the the utilization target that the P-Well takes, which for me, I'm like pushing to, to be 50% of the pool depth. Like that's just to make sure that we don't have any net... Um, net buy or net sell pressure on the run-asset and everything just kind of stays nice even keel, which is I think just uh, better for the network. But like, that's, that's the thing. It's the, it's the synth cap itself which is controls the amount of risk that the LPs take on. All very complicated and hard to explain because it's complicated in mathematics and it's easier if I have like a spreadsheet to, to like, show people the motion of the numbers in a sense. But trying to describe it just audit- auditorily is, is a little bit difficult
2: yeah I'll say that we're open for questions so if people want to request to come up uh there is one question in the comments here about whether you could add a just regular synth b t c to a savers vault uh so it is w i don't believe that's currently possible right but uh will that be possible to just add and remove uh just regular synth b t c or will it only be uh layer one uh
1: yeah right now it's only layer one um the reason why that is is because at least from our position. We see synths as uh, as are being utilized today is just an arbitrage uh, tool, right? Uh, which is, that's heavily what it's used for today. That's why the uh, the capital is it, the, the effic- capital efficiency is so high, and the amount of longevity, how long a synth is minted before it's burned, is generally very quick. Um, so we don't see there's much use for that. So we, what we really want to see is just like driving layer one uh, assets in. Um, that being said, I'm not really opposed to allowing somebody just to deposit a synthetic uh, Bitcoin into the like the pool, the the vault, and then withdraw it later. But it just requires more code that just doesn't seem you know worth it for V1, to be honest with you. But if people really want to see that happen, you know,
3: I don't mind adding it.
2: Hey, Prime Directive, brought you back up?
3: Can you hear me? Yes. Awesome. Thanks for letting me jump in again. Uh, so. Here's my. It's a big question for me. I'm like I got my fingers crossed here, but will will there be uh, a referral mechanism with the savers? Because like I have this huge fantasy of my favorite projects having like you know Bitcoin, you know Bitcoin savings powered by Thorchain. Can we do this? Uh,
1: yes, affiliate fee still works. um I'm pretty sure. So I think uh, I think go we'll back to the code and just verify it real quick, but uh, from from memory, and hope I'm speaking correctly, but I'm pretty sure Affiliatee is still being uh, respected. So if, if somebody wanted to build, uh, and I know of somebody who is very well known and um, who is building a, a kind of like a wrapper project, you know, that just kind of wraps around this feature and just supplies um, an easy mechanism for people to, to po- deposit and withdraw uh, and just, you know, Bitcoin saving position. Uh, somebody could do that for sure and, and,
3: and earn income. <laughs> Awesome. Free hot dog with every new Savers account. Thank you, guys. Yo, Just to follow
4: up to, to that question, and then I have a, another question, but I remember there being some discussion about um, removing the requirement to have a memo for uh, single-sided deposits. So if, if that functionality gets uh, coded into, into Thornode, would it be possible to, uh, to still earn an affiliate fee uh, if somebody's making a deposit? without a memo?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, So that feature is not in the code yet that's being worked on. I think Iridanus is working on that particular feature, which is massive by the way, because this means that like you can can contribute to this system without needing a, a, a custom wallet. You can just do it directly from like literally any wallet that holds Bitcoin. Um, or Ethereum or any asset for that matter, which is awesome. Uh, but to answer your question, no, because you need, in order to get the affiliate fee, you need to have a memo that kind of describes who's earning the yield of this affiliate. So you would need, in Bitcoin's case, you would need a wallet that supports, you know, an upper, upper turn or like a memo, which most of them do not. Um, and and then you could earn your, earn your yield. Gotcha, thanks. And then uh, unrelated, but I just want to make sure I understand
4: the timeline here. So as of today, Folks can deposit uh, single sided, but am I correct? They're not earning yield yet, and that that's got to get voted on by the nodes as well as the the protocol owned liquidity um, feature for when the caps synth caps do get hit. That also has to be voted on by the nodes.
1: Yeah, I think um, we will probably do this. So you could enter the savings position right now, and it wouldn't do any any good for you. So I wouldn't recommend people do it because just you'd be putting your Bitcoin in the network for no yield. Um, but um, when it does, uh, when, it's, when it's time, when we feel like we're, it's time to do so, we'll give it up to the uh, node operators to, to do a, a symbolic vote. And by that mean it just means to vote to turn it on or off. But Mamir admin will actually be the thing that actually turns disrespecting respecting whatever the, the community voted for and, and turning it on um, itself. The reason why that's important that, that Mamir do it just because if there's some sort of problem, you know, the next day or whatever, we wanna be able to have the memory admin to be able to, to disable the feature or pause the feature or whatever uh, and fix it and then you know car- carry on. Uh, if it's controlled by the nodes, then we would need to get a two-thirds majority of nodes to like vote in the other direction, which would just take you know 16, 18 hours or a day or whatever it is. And and in situations where there's some sort of bug, we we wanna be able to respond as fast and as quickly as possible, uh, stop whatever the problem is, and then fix set out a, a fix for it and then. Carry on. So, I, in the beginning, at least I would like to keep to maintain that the, the Mimir admin controls the feature in the beginning. And then eventually, you know, once we feel like we've ironed out all the kind of rough edges of the of the new uh, feature, we can go ahead and just, mere, mere, mere just step back and just take over the thing. Um, so, the same thing for the POL. Um, we can vote on enabling it. Um, but my, my viewpoint is that we'll probably have the Mimir control, like the scaling of that along with in, in coordination with the community just so that we have the ability to, to scale it down very quickly if we need to for some, if there's some sort of bug or exploit or like whatever happens, like we want to be able to respond as quickly and as fast as possible without uh, incurring a, a significant loss to the, to the rest of the, the protocol, meaning that like pausing the entire protocol. Uh, just because this one feature has got some sort of bug in it. Gotcha. And I know you guys hate the when questions, but given that
4: the the code is there and 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 everything, do you have any rough sense for when
1: those two uh, symbolic votes might happen? Uh, I, I don't, to be honest with you. Um, we have to come together as the the core team, along with nine realms, and kind of a discussion of when we feel uh, it's ready to kind of to start the vote. Um, We'll post something in in like the discord and that main kind of uh, Thor chain main net channel uh, and just kind of start the voting process, in which case people will start voting. But I can't imagine it being very long. Um, My guess would be uh, sometime either today, even potentially or or next week. Awesome. Thank you today. Whoa. (laughs) Well, t- today to start the process of voting, right so it wouldn't it probably would not be enabled today unless the voting happened really fast, which maybe that happens, but like probably either today or or, or next week i'm I'm assuming uh, we'll see though
0: interfaces are scrambling
1: <laughs> yeah, interfaces are gonna have to catch up, right I've actually always maintained this has always been a, a debate internally of like when we release new features, do we do it in a very um like correlated way and that we like we just get all the different components like Together, right, and and then like and then launch it, like the, the UIs, the, the midgard stuff, this blah, 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 like all the different parts of the stack, and then wait till they're all ready, and then like then launch it. Or does the core protocol just launch the feature, and then everybody downstream just kind of like adopts it whenever they want to adopt it, and then let it, the community just kind of figure out their own timing rather than having like it's like, do you want a synchronous launch or an asynchronous launch? And that's always been a, a debated topic in the internally.
2: Yeah, there's no and there's no easy answer there because if the rollout isn't smooth on the Thor chain side, then it affects everything downstream, and it's like a- any issue just has like multiplicative effects, especially when you when you uh, take into account like the decentralization of the network, and if like you know if something happened like consensus failure like today, like let, let's say like we the, the feature was released with 198 and we were trying to really hype it up and push it, and then all of a sudden there was some kind of uh, you know major issue that happened and either it sets its failure or the feature needs to be paused or something like that. Then it just throws a, a huge wrench into all the coordination that that's, that's happened. So I, I've been, I don't know, they, they, there's, there's two ways to think about it and it's like, all right, well, the coordinated launch that, um, is much more visible to, to everybody and especially people that are like only like tangentially in this, in this space and only sometimes pay attention to what's going on in, in, uh, like this, this sector of things, <laughs> And, uh, then, and then there's like you know what if what if something goes wrong and like you know there's a, there's upstream problems problem with problem with door chain, it's like the, the and the, uh, the interfaces need to need to adapt so I, I think recently I've been more to just like all right we just we we just push the features and then like later the interfaces will will adapt and and update I I feel like that's the better way to the better way to do it just because uh, of the the risk of you know things not always going to plan because we don't always know what's going to happen once once an update or a feature is is released with 100% certainty.
1: Yeah, my, my viewpoint is I actually agree with you. I actually like the idea of everything just being asynchronous and the different projects don't require communication or, or like, you know, coming together in some sense. and never just kind of does what they do and then let the market just do it. Do it. I'd actually be curious to get Mogarky's perspective on this because he's from the, from the ThorSwap team like if from he's coming from a different angle than I'm coming from but like to me it makes sense to just like the core just launches some new feature and then downstream even if it's like even if the Midgard stuff isn't done yet like who cares like Midgard can figure it out once they do that then the UIs can figure it out once they do that then the like just downstream it like that, and just allow the market just to, to adopt as they want to, rather than trying to like. This is not a company. We are not a corporation. We're not releasing a product in the traditional sense. Like we don't have a marketing scheme really per se. Like just we just do build, launch, innovate. You know, you know, ship, and then let everything else handle itself downstream.
0: Yeah, I think like from that kind of PR perspective, though, um, you know, if if it was an announcement, like hey, this is live, but then there's nowhere for people to do it yet. Then, like you wouldn't, you'd want to avoid that situation as well. Because for the average user, like what they care about is like, hey, can I use the thing? Um, not can I like send a custom memo and like do some uh, interesting stuff on the back end to like to to get into it. But um, it, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense overall. But then maybe the like more public push is once once some interfaces have caught up. Yeah,
2: I think we learned a little bit from the Avax launch of just like. Because we tried to coordinate that that launch so much with all the interfaces and have like uh a, like a coordinated marketing push for it, but then you know they, like all of a sudden something goes wrong and it's like it's another two weeks before Avax is is out. Uh, it just caused a lot of a lot of thrash there where it's like uh, you know the the third chain team, you know Nine Realms and. Uh, you know, the torching Twitter and things are are saying like, Hey, this is live. And then all of a sudden it's, it's, it's not live and it's not live for like another two weeks or something like that. So I think like going forward, it'll probably be less like, uh, announcements from, from, from this end of things like saying like, Hey, this feature is like live. It went live like, like four minutes ago. Like everything is like, like going and, uh, because if something goes wrong and it just creates this huge, like, you know, uh, confusion and information, information problem, so, uh, yeah, just something that I like considering, especially from from the AVAX launch, which we, you know, th- that was very very recent uh, and on the, on the top of our minds right now. So, just yeah, that's what I'm thinking about from my perspective. So, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else you guys want to discuss. Um, I, I'm glad the Thor chain uh, has anyone else noticed that there's like significantly less bots on on Twitter now, <laughs> like, like like one day after the uh, the Elon takeover. I don't see any any bots in the. Uh, in the replies to this to this tweet, which, which there's there's always like four bots that, that comment exactly after Thorchain tweets. It's bear market boy Bear market. No, no, no. It, this is like yesterday that this happened. <laughs> I, oh I, I swear really? to God. Yeah, yeah. There's all of a sudden all the bots just not all the bots, but a lot of the bots have just disappeared all of a sudden. I get a lot of like
1: messages from scammers on like uh, Telegram saying like. Oh, I'm from OKX Exchange and we can want to list you and it's it's all you know horseshit. And so you can almost like uh, you can see like as when when rune has like a good day in terms of price, like I just get a lot more of those, you know, messages in my in my DMs. And so it's like it becomes a little bit similar to the to the the bots in some sense.
2: All right, here's conspiracy theory. Was was Elon uh running the bots to fud Twitter and get the price down? I don't know. Well it's uh... a... <laughs> I'll leave that as a conspiracy theory. Anything else you guys want to talk about? Oh, in about two hours, uh, Eric Voorhees who's obviously a, a friend of, of ours, uh, will be on Bankless with, uh, I guess, debating Sam bankman Freed about his, uh, his new bill. So if anyone's around and you want something to do in about two hours, uh, I would check that out. And I'm yeah,
0: curious say. oh nice they're, they're doing it live I don't know if their podcast is usually live or not i am not sure good question I'm not sure <laughs> but that'll be a good one man
1: <laughs> well yeah it's, it's like Sam begafriedes in some sense is he's he's really going down like the the kyc route, route or like the government route regulation stuff like he's a lot of work he does he spent a lot of time in, like in DC and such and Voorhees is like just you know is a the hardcore like libertarian type guy right and so like (laughs) very different viewpoints uh of like government what the role of government is and so and they're and they're both very smart guys to be objective so like uh it'd be interesting to see you know meeting of two two smart minds in the industry to talk about an uh interesting and important topic of regulation
2: yeah for sure anything else you guys want to talk about or anyone else want to come up and ask about uh Consensus failure, POL, saber vaults. Yeah, yeah
1: just uh, we can just jump into the Q and A. So anybody's got um, some questions they want to ask uh, myself or anybody else, welcome to welcome to
5: ask. We have Khan from Delphi. Hey, hey, hey how are you guys? Um... On the topic of like asynchronous launch, uh, I just wanted to ask if there's anyone in the audience or speakers from TorSwap. I'm, I'm curious if like TorSwap UI will uh, show like the yield and like the position of um, savers um, in when, when it's like time to launch or how, how close that is. Um, yeah.
0: yeah, I can speak to that a bit. Um, definitely being worked on. Uh, with this current timeline, I, I don't I don't know if we're in a position to make any promises about day one, but um yeah, I mean, that's definitely all all being worked on and definitely all gonna be there. Uh, really like the vision for the UI is just make it as dead simple as possible and not make it feel like liquidity pooling and really like kind of move away from that sort of language and just have it be simple. like that's kind of what we've all been dreaming of with this feature since a year and a half ago or whatever. Um, but obviously, still having you know just the basic information: what did you deposit? What's your yield so far? What's withdrawable? Um, you know, what's the current uh, percent a- uh, AP- APY? Uh, just simple, big, big deposit, withdraw buttons. Make it make it really dead simple. And I'm sure over time it'll be on Thor Yield too, probably for like a more expanded, uh, in depth view of everything happening with the position. But. Yeah, definitely being worked on. Um, Excited to see a really simple interface for it on ThorSwap. It should be pretty easy because the the
1: interface for ThorSwap to, to enter and exit is very, very, very simple. It's actually the same memos they're already using with like a single character difference in a literal sense, like literally just a single character difference. And then the yield like is becomes very easy to calculate because there's no, there's no two assets with, with fluctuating prices on both of them. And instead you can just say, oh, I put in one Bitcoin and now I have 1.1, therefore my yield is 10%, right? Like it just becomes so, it's, it's, it should be relatively very easy for, for a swap or, or any UIs to, to kind of like uh, interface with this particular feature. So I, I can't, I can't imagine it taking,
0: you know, forever for, to, to integrate. Definitely not. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be really in the relative scheme of things really quite quick. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if, if the vote happens today and like <laughs> I don't know how quickly things are going to move. Um, don't want, don't, don't want Mogarchy to have a panic attack here, um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure it'll, I'm, I'm sure we'll get something out.
2: Yeah, I think there there's definitely some room to build like a really nice UI, it, it, but it's not just the, the like the deposit UI and things like that. It's the stuff like uh like tracking, like analytics, like seeing how much yield you have currently, and having nice you know just a, a nice nice UI with that. But also like social things that that come with that. Like I think everyone's seen those you know like Binance screenshots of like hey I'm up like you know twenty percent on this like BTC long or something like that. I think it'd be uh, and I, I know that Thor yields like implemented. Something similar. I haven't really seen them like just out in the wild, but I would love to see those for, uh, for Saber's as especially because I think that's just a more, it's, it's a more tangible yeah. thing of being like, Hey, I earned, you know, 6% on uh, my AVAX saber position or, or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's
0: a great point. It's way more shareable because the 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 trouble with the dual sided LP is like your your earnings are complicated, you know, it's not yeah. really always that straightforward. It's like, oh my, my LP versus HODL is up. And it's like, what what is that? <laughs> but if it's just like deposited one BTC and now it's 1.03 BTC and it's been, you know, forty eight days or whatever, just make it like super simple, shareable little cards. Um, yeah, that'll be cool. I'm I'm sure, sure that'll happen.
1: So I, I have a question for Can if he, if he wants to answer me. But uh, so I'm expecting this, like Bitcoin will be obviously the biggest guy uh, in terms of sim- savers, obviously. And I'm expecting that the pools will, will kind of fill up pretty quickly and that the yield on the savers will be relatively low just because market factors. So my question to Can would be like, uh, in your experience, you know, talking to people that you talk to and, and so forth and so on, like, what do you think? is a yield that people are willing to take what's what's too what's too low that people are, are not going to take it and what's what you know so like what do you expect the yield to, to end up because the free market will determine what people will not take but like i'm curious to know what your viewpoint is is it like five percent is it one percent is it half a percent like how do you view it
5: yeah um so like in any kind of investment um the yield is always like associated with risk right like high risk high reward kind of mentality um that 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 like people have, so I think it ultimately comes to like um, the the magic number. Um, like think think about let's think about it this way. Like if the yield is like risk free, everybody should be super happy with having like two percent yield, right? On on Bitcoin. Um, and the the bottom line here is like uh, I think time. Like I'm not like personally, although I'm like super duper excited about about this this launch. I'm not expecting anything magical in the first days. I think over I think the key here is like over time, as like Torchain um continues to like um uh, continues to operate without exploits, without like hiccups or like uh ads like um you know, these like uh additional security measures that, that have been added uh, um, in the past, et cetera and like in people's minds it becomes like, like a safe place um to to deposit uh i think people should i would expect them to be okay with like 2 3% yield on on bitcoin which is which is pretty doable um yeah but um like my objective view is that like um there there are certainly doubts um of like how risk uh, how much risk they're taking because um i i'm talking about the platform risk not the not the price risk um and and that would only like get uh, mitigated over time as, as people build their confidence. I think,
1: right? Because the the only risk they have to calculate for is the protocol risk, right? Of thought chain having issues or, or being exploited or or whatnot, and not so much they don't really care about price risk because they're already expo- they're already exposed to the price, and so that has no relevance in and in, in this uh, mentality.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, it, it is like, right. um, I, like I think the. The challenge there is like if if you own Bitcoin on on Bitcoin blockchain, um, like that's pretty much like riskless um, in like in the sense that you don't have actually any platform risk whatsoever um, because it's deemed as like the most secure blockchain. Um, and so Torchain is like has a quite complex code. Um, like o- although like as a as a as a fan, I'm like confident in it. Not like as an outsider, is like uh, the outsiders can't be like. We can't expect them to be like super comfortable with it unle- until like maybe a, a year um, passes without like any problems or whatsoever. And like people actually start to earn like and show that they've earned a yield on Bitcoin, et cetera. So I'm expecting like a gradual thing here. Um, obviously, like my market is cyclic. So, like if there's a bull market, like it, it will, uh, like numbers will go up pretty quickly. But um, generally, I'm I think time will be key here.
0: Yeah, and the other side of the equation, where there's so much effort uh, being put in by uh, on the ThorSwap side, Nine Room side, core team side, is like the integrations to get the volume up. Right? Uh, let's get ThorChain powering wallets, DApps, other projects, and like that. That volume is really what's needed to to make the yield available uh, for all these people. Because like, if it was just at the current uh, at the current rate, like there's only so many people that can pile into the Bitcoin savers until it's like essentially zero yield, right? So that's like, I, I think that's the other huge piece of the puzzle is and where really like the the key focus I feel overall is, is getting just all the getting volume up, you know, that's really like the the number one domino to, to everything else kind of really working and succeeding and having there be plenty of yield. So the single sa- so the single sided savers can really flourish and there's and and it can be like that hit product that people want so so i agree with you i think you know it's like a slow a slow ramp up for both trust and then both for having like plenty of yield to go around to where it can actually be used by tons and tons of people with with plenty of liquidity in it
5: yeah i like i was just talking to a friend to like today just explaining how torchain works and everything and like the way i kind of like described the future is that like like the sort of if we if we think of Torchain as like an exchange, the customer is no longer the user. I think like in future, I almost see it like as these AMMs on like these chains, like native AMMs. Like I expect like this dex dex aggregation to drive up volumes quite a bit. That's that's my prediction. Um, because like in my mind, the the the, the biggest challenge for going cross chain is is about liability, and like with integrating with Torchain is like it's like very easy because nobody's like that that the AMM as like if if an AMM on like avalanche like pangolin starts to offer bitcoin um as as an option to swap like they're not they're taking no liability whatsoever like it goes through torchain like um they they're not taking like any uh, custody whatever so it's like pretty easy way for them to offer this um and yeah so like i'm very very curious about how much volume that that's going to be that's going to generate, um, and then in future, I, I'm just thinking like probably like the the swap flow will come from like these AMMs and and not like individual users actually going through um, uh, like directly swapping. But yeah, that's that's my prediction. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I think uh, as we get more dex integrations like
5: integrated, like we'll naturally
1: see more volume. And like you could even start to see like our bots using Thorchain as like a, a way to close the ARB on other exchanges, which would also would cause a lot of volume to pass through uh, Thorchain, of course. Uh, and then in addition to that, like the work that we're doing, uh, especially uh, Nine Arms is doing, we're like more integrations with like wallets, like Trust Wallet, for example. Like that stuff is going to be also huge and just kind of create a lot more trade volume for the network. And then eventually, I, I can only use like, the, to me, the the what I see is like the inevitable result is just that ThorChain just becomes this like liquidity uh, center for the entire industry that just is passing massive volumes uh, back and forth between chain A to chain B, whatever that direction that is. Um, and of course, all that, all those trading happening on ThorChain is going to yield for the pools and therefore for the LPs and for the savers and all these things. So it's like,
2: it's all pretty uh, synergistic in a sense. Cool. Cool. Uh, some light questions from the comments here. Uh, can I be your brand ambassador with no marketing budget? It'll be great to have more people putting the word out to the layman. Uh, Yes, you are hereby deemed a, a brand ambassador, so congratulations. <laughs> Feel free to a, a be an ambassador to, to, to Thorntrain. Any, anyone can just go and talk about Thorntrain. You, you don't have to be a brand ambassador or anything like that to talk about Thorntrain. Just just be active in, in the community and uh, talk to people, and you can call yourself a brand ambassador. There you go. That's how me and you got here, Cal. <laughs> yeah, basically. We just called ourselves brand ambassadors and started doing Twitter spaces, and now, uh, now here we are. <laughs>
0: CEO of ThorChain
2: uh, yeah if you need support with uh, ThorChain ThorWallet so ThorChain just the back end uh, ThorWallet uh, ThorYield they're all separate entities they run they have their own teams they just use ThorChain as uh, you know to run their own services so if you're having issues I would go to one of their uh, discords whatever service you're using if, you, if you're having problems so yeah any anything else you guys want to talk about LFG
0: yeah I think we covered it let's go
2: LFG let's another go. week boys Hopefully next
1: week will be a fun one because we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully by then have launched savers and then we we'll can we can see the actual activity on chain and see what the, what the drive is like, um, if there's going to be a lot of drive initially or, or less drive initially, uh, as, as Ken was kind of alluding to. Um, I don't know. We'll see. But I'm, <laughs> I'm excited for it.
2: Sweet. Thanks for coming on, Ken. I'll catch you guys next week. Friday is at noon. And uh, recording will be up on YouTube tonight.
1: Later, guys.